what up? It's Dad. We'll turn off those video games. Listen to this. But there ain't no G in being D-A-D. But don't nobody mow this lawn like me. My minivan's got spinners and a custom grill. It's got 20 million stains where the kids have spilled. I made little tights for training wheels on bikes. Living thug life if it's cool with my wife. I'm bowling, snatching up diapers by the cases and dropping mad cheddar on my kids' new braces. Live like a king, snow like an ox. Sometimes I walk around in just boxes and socks. Buy you ice cream, shorty, when you're feeling down. But test me and I swear I'll turn this car around Cause I'm a dad, spelled D-A-D I got some mad love for my family I'm out, gotta go to the mall Get some sweatpants What? Well, let me explain. Um, Larry McFall said that, uh, you know, to appeal to this generation, we really need to use some audiovisual aids like, like movie projectors and, and uh, visual things. And at the same time, my kids said, uh, you know, Dad, you really are kind of old. Fashion, no, the term they use is old school, whatever that means. And so they put this together to kind of spiff up my image. Well, <laughs> it work? <laughs> Probably hopeless. Uh, well, uh, we're in the third of a four-part series about leadership in the home. Uh, we talked about obedience first and those principles. We talked about appeal last week. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, obedience and appeal with regard to the parent-child relationship. Next week we'll talk about marriage. Uh, and I think that whether you're uh, a young child, if you pay attention, a teen, if you pay attention, uh, a young or rebuilding parent or a grandparent, you know, we all need to be concerned about this vital relationship, which really is second only to marriage in importance in our earthly relationships. Uh, so hopefully we can pick up some things today. I want to distinguish, go back, we did this the first week, between the concept of obedience in, the, in scriptures and the concept of submission. Uh, uh, obedience primarily is... is uh, listed in scripture using the Greek upakoyo, which means to line up under out of duty. Uh, and so in Ephesians 6, 5, Romans 6, 16, and Colossians 3, servants are to obey their masters in all things. And in Ephesians 6, 1 and Colossians 3, 20, likewise, children are to obey their parents in all things. Now, submission is another Greek word. It's upotasso, and it means to line, under, to line up under, out of devotion, out of love. And you lead in uh, upotasso-type submission uh, in that kind of relationship through relational influence. And so that's an important distinction. We see that in, in 1 Peter 2, that citizens are to submit 
to their government out of devotion. Uh, we talked about that with regard to civil disobedience um, uh, uh, several weeks ago. And in 1 Peter 3, wives are to submit to their husbands using the same word. Now, when we talk about child-rearing, we should think in terms of a, of a visual concept here. Uh, if, you, if you think of a funnel, you know, you pour the stuff in the big end and it comes out the small end. Parenting is the reverse, okay? We start with strict uh, upokoyo obedience with very young children. Sure, everybody would love to have a relationship with their children where parents never have to use firm language. But frankly, uh, naturally compliant children don't come, al- come around very often, at least not in my family. And so they tend to be little sinners, kind of like their folks. Okay? And so I think it's important to understand the job of a parent is not primarily to be a friend, but to be a parent, which is a distinct relationship. You see, a friend does, has neither the, the duty nor the authority to set limits in one's life as parents are required by Scripture. As a child matures, you know, the last thing that a parent wants is a grown child who has to be told everything to do at every point. But by nature, children are self-centered and hence will disobey when it serves their selfish desires. But obedience helps develop not only the outward behavior, but the inward belief system. Galatians 3.24 tells us the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And in the same way, obedience is our schoolmaster to bring us to ultimate freedom. From the extrinsic motivation, do it or else, to the intrinsic control of self-control of I ought to do this myself. A Christian teen who struggles with rebellion uh, really does not accept God as her ultimate authority. One who desires to please God will learn to submit to parents and God out of love for both. That's the ultimate goal of biblical parenting. So the additional benefit when this works is that children end up achieving a basic command. In all the generational conflict, we tend to forget that that part about honoring your father and your mother is part of the Big Ten. And unlike Nebraska, this is not that Big Ten. It's the one found in Exodus 20. In fact, in Ephesians 6, it says that this is the first command with a promise. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long. Now think about that. There's a subtle message in that command. In fact, if we want our children to be around when we are old and gray, to honor us out of devotion rather than burdensome duty, we may want to honor our parents now and long after 
we are out from under their authority. Now, if you grew up in an abusive home, honor may be tough for you. It may be downright hard to do. But yet I would encourage you, Scripture tells us that we should show as much respect as we can. We should not ever speak evil of our parents. We shouldn't slander them. We should never allow them to go hungry or fail to help them in times of need. And when you think about how that works, you never know what a bad parent is going to think about a child who is so faithful to God and to them to forgive them for their abuse. The real question is, what kind of an example are you going to set for your own children? Their impressions of how you respond to and treat your parents, even and refer to them even after they're gone, is going or is probably going to set the tone for how they treat you and how they refer to you. This process takes longer for some than for others, frankly. Uh, all kids are different. We tend to kind of assume today in our culture that children will not be mature until they turn 18 or in some cases 21. But biblically, it's more of a process. And so this funnel really doesn't grow a lot you know, up through ages 4 or 5. It tends to grow a little more gradually up through 12 or 13, and then hopefully it'll expand quite a bit into the teen years, uh, just to give you an idea. But what are we talking about? What does biblical obedience look like? Well, one, I'm just going to give you a thumbnail here. We don't have time uh, to go into details, and, and I would take this time to, this, this opportunity to just say, you know, you've you got to take a course like uh, the Ezos Growing Kids God's Way or Trips Shepherding a Child's Heart or something that you've heard from a trusted individual works because these principles are vital and we're only going to scratch the surface this morning. What I'm going to say now is going to be quick. It's going to seem harsh, but it's important. Biblical obedience is first immediate. It is complete. It is without challenge. It is without complaint. That's the standard God sets for children to obey their parents. Now, some may say, well, you know, I'll take any form of obedience from my kid. Well, will God? Are you training your child to obey him? Just how important is obedience to God? Well, Saul found out in 1 Samuel 15, he had disobeyed God's specific instructions, and Samuel had to reprove him. And part of that reproof, Samuel said, rebellion, or oh, disobedience, is as the sin of divination or witchcraft. And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Pretty serious stuff. Saul, as a result of that disobedience, lost his throne. And the text even says that God regretted making him king of Israel. Now, kids, thankfully, there's some good news. There's some balancing truth to this. 
If you look at the passage in Colossians 3, in verse 20, it says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Then it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. At first blush, this may seem to be inconsistent. Um, because to consistently obey an imperfect authority in all things will inevitably lead to some frustration, some exasperation. But to disobey violates verse 20 for children. I believe that verse 21 does not compromise the obedience standard of verse 20, but rather it reminds parents that biblical authority is not calloused, nor harsh, nor arbitrary. It requires forethought. It requires reason. It's not inconsistent. It's not at the whim of the parent. The goal is not to avoid all frustration. You'll never be able to do that. But it's to avoid unnecessary frustration. Parents are required, are commanded to require obedience, but with reason, not rigidity, and certainly taking all the circumstances into account. However, some parents train their children to disobey. And unfortunately, what I'm about to say will probably apply to all of us parents here at some point or another. One method of doing that is by threatening and repeating over and over. Don't do that. Didn't you hear me? I said don't do that. What? If you do that again, I'll... And over and over and over again. Um, it's kind of like the guy in The Lazy Boy who's got the remote for the TV and uses his voice as a remote for the kids. Uh, he's simply too lazy to get up and do something about it. The other way that parents train their children to disobey is through bribery. Oh, my sweet little thing, if you'll stop stomping your feet and screaming, I'll buy you an ice cream cone. Or for a teenager, I'll get you a Lexus. Okay? Neither of those is a good idea. Uh, but let's talk about some practical tips uh, for parenting. Uh, again, just in kind of shotgun fashion here, one question is, how do we communicate instructions to our children? If you ask for an answer from your child or an action, you should expect immediate and complete response. They call that first-time obedience. This is the ideal. This is what you're aiming for. You should say what you mean and mean what you say. Never give an instruction you don't intend to be obeyed. When parents require this standard, obedience is objective. And it is the child who decides when he or she is going to be corrected. When parents do not require first-time obedience, the parental uh, instruction is subjective. The child has to guess when to, when to obey based upon the parent's resolve. Sometimes this is by pitch of voice. In the Marine Corps, we call this leadership by volume. Um, it might be the facial expression. It might be the anger. It might be the final stomping of the foot. 
sometimes has, has anybody here not had the embarrassing grocery aisle experience? Okay. If you stick around long enough, eventually they'll come to the point where the kid will put down the box of Captain Crunch, but not until they reach that certain signal. Well, this method, uh, based upon the whim of the parent or the laziness of the parent, it simply results in conflict, confusion, and insecurity for the child. They don't know when to obey until they see that one thing that they recognize. And in turn, that can lead to significant misunderstandings, strife, danger, and even at times abuse within the family because the parent doesn't know how to control the child. Um, Some little things here. Eye contact. Okay? That establishes accountability. Uh, Eye contact is a focusing skill that helps the child process information. So make eye contact. Keep it with the child. Don't let them turn and mumble stuff. Okay? Verbal response. Just require one. Yes, mom. Yes, dad. Now, some, you know, want to go with the yes, sir. I don't do that. You might be surprised. Simply because I can think, uh, I think it sometimes can be a show. And for those of you old enough to to remember, I think it can can be Eddie Haskell-esque. Anybody remember that? All right. All right. I got to move on. If you have persistent obedient problems with a child, you may need to tell the child to repeat the instruction while looking you in the eye. So it's, Patrick, say this back to me. I will not slug Noah again. (laughs) All right? Simple thing. Unless your child is characterized by responsible behavior and a good attitude, the child should not be telling you, but rather asking you what he or she is to do, okay? So it should be, may I, rather than, Mom, I'm going to the mall, okay? It's surprising how children pick this up. Uh, Here's a tough one for me. To avoid frustration, if your child is engaged in in an activity that you approve of, but it's time for something else, dinner or whatever, give them a five-minute warning, And I have to confess, I've said, turn off those video games, not just there, but many other times, uh, without the five-minute warning. But when they are anticipating finishing something and you cut them off, that simply creates unnecessary frustration in contradiction to Colossians 3.21. Okay. When a child persistently disobeys, he's in sin. When a parent reinforces that disobedience by bribery or repeating and threatening, uh, ignoring out of busyness or laziness, that parent is in sin. Uh, Calling a child to first-time obedience is not usually a problem for the child once they get it. It's more a problem for the parent. It takes persistence and consistency. Now, we've been asked to talk about older children, um, and hopefully the funnel is growing wider and you're giving more and more freedoms and more and more discretion and making responsible decisions. Uh, And and so the parent is hopefully more and more moving toward relational influence and less using their authority, although 
young people, sometimes it's necessary. Uh, Remember that when a parent trains up a child in the way that he should go, he will not depart from it when he is old. It's a process. It takes time. It's, and that process, as we've said before, takes longer for some than it does for others. Now, this may have come up earlier. When is a child completely free from their parents' authority? Completely? Okay. Well, in Scripture, I don't see any magical age. Uh, it, you know, you might make an argument based upon the Jewish bar mitzvah that it was 12 or 13, but that didn't, that didn't work today very well. Uh, the only guideline I can see in Scripture, frankly, is when a child leaves his parents and cleaves to his or her spouse. Then they are out from underneath their parents' authority completely. However... When you're dealing with older or adult children, there are some practical and some legal considerations. If you don't develop that relationship earlier on in life, once a child reaches legal adulthood and financial independence, they get the apartment, there's not a whole lot you can really do except pray for your prodigal. Therefore, as the child is growing and maturing toward adulthood, it becomes even more important to help a child store up moral reasons why you ask them to do the things that you do. You know, when a, with a young child, it's pretty much do this, and they'll, they will, if they've been trained, they will do it. But you'll reach a point when the child will say, well, why? What's the purpose of that? And it's not necessarily challenging. They just want to understand And by passing up that opportunity, you are failing to train your young person in the moral reasons why you're wanting them to do whatever it is. Um, So that when they encounter a similar issue, when you're not around, they will be able to reach back into their moral database and retrieve that lesson they learn because of your instruction. Example. Uh, Child says... uh, Mom, may I please go to the movie? And Mom has to say, I'm sorry, but because you didn't clean your room and finish the dishes as instructed, your freedom is temporarily restricted. But but why? Well, honey, we need to all play our role as a team in this family or things won't get done before we enjoy leisurely activities. Later... As a single adult away at college, I guarantee you they're going to be called incessantly to come out and play. Okay, that's what college is largely about. And if they've been trained, they just might remember searching that moral database that they didn't pick up the stuff and the underwear off the floor. Now, that may be asking too much, but they might remember, actually, that they didn't finish their English paper that's due tomorrow before they make that decision. You know, these things are more caught than taught. Um, Now, suppose the parent, if we go back, who just denied the past to go to the movie was lacking important information that 
might change that parent's mind about the decision. Well, what can a disappointed child do? Well, one, he can uh, stomp out of the room and slam the door. Not recommended. He could say, uh, yes, ma'am, because he wants to sacrificially show his younger siblings what it means to obey like a real man. Not likely. (laughs) Or he can appeal. Okay? And we don't have a lot of time to go over uh, appeal again. If you go through Growing Kids God's Way or some of these other courses, you can kind of get this down. And there may be other systems out there that work well. I'm not saying there's any one source, but... You need to come up with it. I'm just going to give you a few guidelines here for the concept of appeal that, that may be helpful. You, know, you can start early in life training with this uh, with children as young as maybe four or five. But the child at first needs to be characterized by immediate obedience. They have to have that down before you give them the privilege of appeal. Uh, the appeal is to the parent currently giving the instruction not to the other parent. You know how that works. You know, you go and play the two against each other. The other parent doesn't have the information. Da 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 da. Uh, the appeal is only heard if the child comes with an attitude of humility, and they've got additional information that you didn't have before. If I appeal a case of a district court judge to the court of appeals, and I don't have something that's that's wrong on the district court level, I'm bounced out. I've got to have a basis for my appeal. And the new information is the basis of the appeal. The appeal is only heard once. So use your one shot well, kids. Okay? It's not an opportunity to come back again and again and again. Okay? If you don't get it right the first time, that's it. You need to be willing to accept no as an answer. I think we talked about that last week. Now, how is the appeal prosecuted? I mean, there may be a number of ways. The Ezos in Growing Kids God's Ways come up with a simple phrase, may I appeal? Now, what does that do? That shows an attitude of humility, at least if said in the right way as you can tell. It shows that they're willing to submit to the decision even as to allowing the appeal. Okay? Um, And so that sets you up for a proper appeal and more likely uh, a consideration of your appeal. Uh, Children have to understand that appeal is a privilege and it's not to be used to avoid or to delay work or, or, uh, or voice objection. And if you use it that way, you can pro- you're probably going to lose the privilege of appeal altogether. Now, parents understand that this is a two-way street, and parents need to be fair and flexible. If the child never hears yes, the child will probably not ever appeal again, okay? There has to be, you have to think about, well, is there a reason that I'm denying this appeal that I, and maybe... Maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe I should be listening to this closer, and maybe I should be saying yes to some of these appeals. That's important for your credibility and understanding, you know, from their viewpoint, uh, this, this process.
Finally, I think it's important to get the big picture. This is not about a formula. It's about relationship with those we love and with God. Some of us uh, hit this when we heard there was an earthquake in Haiti. And I still remember that realization when the doctor told me that Jonathan may have cancer. God gives us these relationships, and he can take them away at any time. So we should treasure every moment and love our children enough to train them up in the way that they should go. Well, I'm out. (laughs) Got to find a panel, get some feedback. So as my august panel is coming up here on stage, I'm going to give you a hypo for their consideration, and they can respond to any other part of the message. Um, Here we go. Gustav Gestapo met his wife, Moonshadow, through a dating service, Roll the Dice Romance. In this case, polar opposites attracted, especially in their approach to parenting. Moonshadow tells their son, Wolfgang Sonny Gestapo, Oh, my sunny sunshine, Today, I feel like showering you with love. Don't trouble yourself with anything except what you and you alone want to do because you are the center of my universe. She tells him no, commands him not to let anything or anyone deter him from a beautiful day free from responsibility. But then Gus, of an authoritarian bent, comes home, finds his son lying in a hammock, watching butterflies, But his new bike is out on the front lawn by the street for the umpteenth time, and he has failed to finish the projects and the chores that his father gave him. So Gus is hopping mad. He yells at his son, you are a lazy good-for-nothing. You get your rear and gear and accomplish all that I've commanded you, and then report to me behind the woodshed. Sonny is dismayed and confused, but he angrily walks out in frustration to his duties and his inevitable fate. Gentlemen, what advice do you have for these three? <laughs> Love these hypothetical tickets here, can't I? Yeah, where to start with that? I mean, <laughs> you know, when I read that, uh, when Kent sent out the situation ahead of time, the first thing I thought of was how... Um, uh, the mother and father weren't communicating with each other as far as uh, Sonny's plans for the day. And and when parents aren't in agreement, it's easy for kids to get caught in the crossfire. And that even happens when um, there aren't the extremes. Even in normal families, it's easy for um, mothers and fathers not to be talking. Sometimes it's just due to busyness. And then kids can um, they can get caught. And so I think that's where the appeal comes in, you know, maybe not as an excuse. And Sonny's not, 
he's not helped his case by not picking up the toys and, and doing the projects. But, uh, you know, I, I think that for Sunday he needs to – I think that he, the proper response for him would be to um, to obey. And um, But and I don't know, in some artful way, try to explain what – what mom had said without making it sound like a like a get out of jail free card um, but for parents I just think it's so important to talk to each other and to uh, and to not exasperate kids because because they can be crushed pretty easy uh, yeah with Sean uh, junior could do two things if he just obeyed dad with just simply obeyed, went and did what he was told, even if he was disciplined later and said nothing. When dad found out that he was actually in compliance with mom's directives, my suspicion is it would have an impact on dad that would make him uh, quicker in the future to ask Junior what's going on instead of to assume things. So I know this probably would not enter most young people's minds, but if there was forethought enough to even consider that as a possibility, the long-term implications could be that your parent, in this case Gus, uh, might look at you differently in the future and be less ready to jump to conclusions. So being silent and just obeying, as Sean mentioned, it, it would really be a wise, wise option. And the other thing, obviously, was the appeal. If What was our little boy's name? If Wolfgang... So Sonny, <clears throat> if Sonny uh, makes an appeal to Dad to say, hey, I, I actually was doing exactly what Mom told me to do, then it gets back to the parental coordination with each other, which is huge. And obviously anybody in positions of authority, if that's not clear, it really does become arbitrary. And Junior really is left wondering what I do and, and where's the line and how can I avoid trouble, et cetera. Um, sort of to Kent's larger picture, too, uh, for Kathy and I, parenting has sort of been our uh, heart and soul of, of about 25 or so of our 30 years of marriage. And we've done lots of parenting classes, and we've, we've engaged with lots of parents. And the point Kent is bringing up, that first-time obedience, respect uh, from kids to parents, um, is harder for parents than it is for children is a big, big deal. And most of the Christian parents we've seen that are not good parents think they are because they tell themselves in their mind, I love my child. But that love is not translated into biblical clarity. And they actually encumber their children as they grow up by not requiring obedience and respect of their kids on the front end, not realizing that when your kid gets that growing up, you've liberated them. You've not saddled them with something. You've liberated them. They're now free to obey. They're free to have a great life. And the degree to which we as parents don't lovingly, consistently require our kids, back to Kent's use of the funnel, in their little years to obey us <clears throat> and then give them more and more responsibility for their choices as they grow up, that widening funnel, we're not working with them the way God has Put us. We, we need to see that that is in our child's best interest. This isn't being negative. It's not being cumbersome on them. That's not the frustration. We really want to be objective in our parenting. We want to free our kids from their sinful disposition as much as possible. 
Uh, that's what we need too as we grow as Christians, but that's what we want to do with our kids. It has nothing to do with parents being egomaniacs or anything like that. We want to liberate our kids because obe- obedience does bring that whole element of blessing and we're freeing them from their sinful dispositions so their life can be blessed. And that's just a, it's a huge, huge thing. I can't tell you the consistency that I expect when I engage with parents is they will say to themselves and to you that they love their children, but they do not love their children in the language of the scriptures by biblically, a verse Kent didn't bring up this morning, but the parent who loves their child pursues them diligently with discipline. And if we don't do that, we may say our feelings are towards our children, but God says our actions fall short of what he says is a loving disposition towards our kids. I think we only needed two people on the panel. This has been great. It's tough to be the follow-up, though. Uh, I do love these hypotheticals uh, because, and thank you, Kent, that you make them so exaggerated. Uh, pretty, pretty softball. <laughs> well, I can, uh, in my own family, and hopefully I'm all confessed up right now, uh, I can think of particular situations where maybe not quite to this exaggerated nature, but I have certainly blown it and... and uh, and I know my sons could point those out. We were talking about that in the, this morning at breakfast. Uh, certainly agree with all that's been said. Uh, uh, Sue and I have had, I know, a lot of private bedroom talks, uh, pillow talks, uh, at, uh, about how we could do things differently, trying to get ourselves together as far as being united and how we approach uh, child raising and what we do, getting on the same wavelength and that sort of thing does need to be handled privately, not in front of the children as you're reaching out for agreement. I really agree, like uh, Mike, what you were talking about, that, that our heart is to take care of our children and to point them to the Lord. And that's one thing I've just been, throughout our parenting, I was just always, uh, I, I guess I was struck with it. I could bring about a form of, I, my job was to try to, create a moral compass, I guess, for the, for the children, help them to develop a moral compass of right and wrong. But I knew that ultimately the real correction for their conscience and perfection of their conscience would come through the Lord and that my pointing to him and that he is their perfect father could be the one that, well, in Third John 4, uh, I can identify with John. He's talking about his spiritual children, but where he says... Uh, I can have no greater joy in life than to know that my children follow the truth. And ultimately, it, it is the Lord who will bring that kind of citizenship, that kind of a blessing that we aspire and hope for for our children that I can never bring as an individual. Um, in your hypo that you give here, I mean, it's already been brought out that uh, the, the parents definitely need to get their act together and talk together. Uh, uh, the son, I'm impressed, you know, in both cases, uh, as Todd this morning, I was talking with him just briefly, and thanks for giving us this ahead of time. Uh, he said that uh, the, the Sonny was being obedient in both cases. He was obeying the mom and he was obeying the dad. Maybe he wasn't obeying in the sense that he didn't tell mom that dad had already given him a list of chores and he maybe wasn't obeying or appealing to dad. He could have maybe made his case better. And, and uh, I love those, the, that phrase you said, uh, may I appeal. That would, uh, that would be a, that's a great phrase there to use. But um, the, uh, 
of an older generation, I think of uh, something that came out at my mother-in-law's funeral that really impacted her grandkids, that something that they had never heard of before, so different from our culture today. Uh, it came out there that uh, uh, a favorite saying of Bob's wife, Doris, was uh, uh, take it graciously and the Lord will bless you. And uh, the boy uh, there, he... Um, he obeyed, but you get the impression, if I could improve one thing about what he did, and he had the tough end of the stick. He's having to try to be the mature one among, with uh, parents that were not being very mature. Uh, but he could have maybe taken a little bit more graciously, and the Lord might have blessed him. You can get your reward here in this earth, the reward of, of uh, giving in to your anger, giving in to uh, frustration, giving in to... Um, uh, giving into your feelings of, of having been trodden upon and unrighteously, or you can you can take it graciously, and the Lord will bless you. Just as the illustration you gave Kent last week about Joseph, and uh, Joseph uh, saying that you intended it for bad in regard to what his brothers did to him, you intended it for bad, but the Lord meant it for good. And if you take it graciously, the Lord will bless you. Anything else? I just, uh, the, uh, going back to what Mike, I think, said last week, I think, about the, the, the situation is, you know, really the, the, the father, I think, in this situation needs to get things in perspective. You know, you see here, you know, the two, you know, uh, parenting styles that kind of came out of our generation, authoritarian on the one hand, uh, or permissive uh, out of this Dr. Spock generation, you know, where your child is your friend. And, and that's a real concern. You know, both sides are. Uh, you know, Moonshadow made her child her sole purpose for existence. And that's unbiblical. Yes, we love children, but her first priority should have been her husband. And her husband should have been more sensitive and be, you know, this poor kid in the middle. I mean, yeah, he's got his own problems, but, you know, he's kind of the victim in this whole thing. So, uh, uh, you know, this largely gets back to marriage, which we can try to tackle in some form next week. So, uh, Larry, you want to pray? Finish this up here. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of being parents uh, and of being children. Where um, even those who haven't been had the privilege yet of being parents are are still. Um, uh, they, they've had the privilege of being children. Lord, um, we thank you for the guidance you give us in relationships. Recognize that those things are not uh, universal, that there are differences. Uh, I know certainly in, in Morocco, where we lived, that there were some huge differences culturally about uh, concepts of raising children. And um, in this culture as well, uh, uh, we're getting further and further away from a biblical idea of of how to be how to be the parents we need to be and point our children in the right direction. So, Lord, again, we just lift it up to you and ask for your wisdom. Uh, we, uh, we pray for your blessing upon our children. Help us to be uh, the parents we need to be and for our children that you would give them the, the grace to, uh, uh, to overcome their culture as well and respond in a biblical way. Lord, we, uh, for your glory and that we might point the way to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.